the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Arthur Idala on AM 970. The answer. This is the Arthur Idala Power Hour with quintessential New Yorker attorney Arthur Idala, New York's go to lawyer. He's here to share his stories from in the courtroom and around the city with interviews from high profile guests and everyday folks calling in to talk about everything from politics, lifestyle, health and wellness, and more. And now, your host, making the case for the city he loves, attorney Arthur Idala. Well, if I hear that music, then I guess we have a special guest. It's Arthur Idala, live and local here in New York City, sitting at my desk at 45th and 5th. And when I saw all of these um, reports today uh, that the subway, uh, that there was a subway collision, a work train and a passenger train, a northbound one train full of passengers collided, I immediately called a very ill Joan Pelzer, who's home in bed coughing up her life. And I said, is there any way we can get Kemper on? And somehow or another... Here he is for a couple of minutes. Uh, tomorrow he's going to be back on giving us a full report on 2023. But without further ado, Chief of Transit of the NYPD, Chief Kemper, Arthur Idala here. Happy New Year, sir. Arthur, Happy New Year. And I'm uh, not happy to hear Joan is uh, not feeling well. Uh, yeah, she's really time. sick. But um, tell me what happened today, sir. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll get right to the point. Just about 3 o'clock this afternoon, uh, we had two transit canine officers who were present at the... Uh, 96th Street Station in Manhattan. Uh, they're in the mezzanine area when a, a, a male approaches them and tells them that uh, uh, two trains crashed or collided downstairs on the northbound uh, side of the station. You know, the trans, the uh, canine cops went downstairs, you know, right away. were there within seconds. Uh, and what they came upon was, uh, you know, two trains side by side. Uh, you know, half of both the trains were in the tunnel. Uh, the other half were, uh, you know, uh, you know, outside the tunnel next to the uh, the platform. Turns out they were both derailed. Also, you know, subsequent to uh, sideswiping each other as they were both uh, entering the uh, tunnel at the same time. How that sideswiping happened is, you know, unknown really right now to be determined. That's being investigated by the uh, MTA. But one of those trains was occupied. Um, and, you know, acting as a commuter train, a number one train, a northbound, you know, maybe about 300, give or take, people were on board that train. Uh, and the other train uh, was an out-of-service train with no civilian uh, passengers on board. You know, maybe three or four uh, MTA employees uh, were on board. You know, our cops went on uh, on the train. Uh, they came upon, uh, you know, multiple people injured. Arthur, fortunately, <clears throat> fortunately, no one was seriously injured. Um, you know, as a result of this uh, incident, uh, but they, uh, you know, rendered aid, uh, you know, requested assistance, uh, got EMS there. And then what our, our uh, responding cops, along with our counterparts in the uh, fire department, you know, got everyone else off the train to safety. So, you know, that's that's basically what happened. And again, fortunately, uh, no one was seriously injured. Arthur. I saw about just short of maybe 20 people were uh, were injured and taken for for treatment. Uh, you know, that's some that's some scary stuff. Uh, you know, I'm I'll be on the subway uh, later on this evening, and uh, you know, I, I when we were kids, you'd hear about trains derailing all the time, but you don't hear about that anymore. Am I incorrect about that? Yeah, no, I I can't tell you the last time a, a, two trains collided, causing both trains to derail. Certainly, I've been here 13 months. You know, not a long time. Uh, but nothing uh, remotely close to uh, this occurred, you know, during my 13-month tenure now. Okay. Um, well, Chief, I know you guys got to you know, go back there and, and take care of things. I, my understanding is you'll be hanging out with us tomorrow, and we're going to talk a little bit about the success that you had underground uh, in 2023. You up for that task? Absolutely, Arthur. I appreciate the opportunity. You know that. And uh, thank you very much for letting me get the, uh, you know, the circumstances surrounding today. So, uh, real, real quick, is, is the, the one, two, three lines, are they all still closed down? Are they opened up? Uh, 
Yeah, no, Arthur, big service disruptions, uh, you know, right now. You know, obviously the one, two, three lines, you know, throughout Manhattan. But I, I just I spoke, I was with Rich Davey. He's the president of the New York City Transit Authority. Um, you know, I spoke, talking to him about that. Um, the MTA is going to be posting updates on all routes to use and, you know, on their website and on their social media platforms. Uh, but there are big service disruptions. They're hoping to have this all cleaned up uh, by tomorrow morning's AM rush, but that's not guaranteed. Uh, but in the interim, you know, I, I would uh, suggest or recommend your listeners to uh, go to the MTA website or their social media platforms. All right. There you go. I'm a, Luckily, I'm an east side guy. I'm not a, I'm not a red train guy. I'm a green train guy. So uh, hopefully I won't be that effect. I'm assuming, Chief Kemper, they put a lot of people on buses who have to go up and down the west side and that's all shut down. Yeah, they, they they have a lot going on in in, in relation to accommodating uh, riders. You know, there's going to be uh, you know, this station at 96th Street is is temporarily uh, closed. Uh, you know, there'll be bypasses. Uh, you know, but again, like I said, the MTA is working you know real hard to get it uh, all cleaned up for tomorrow morning's AM rush. All right, thank you, Chief Kemper. Thanks for jumping on. I really appreciate it. And I, we'll catch up tomorrow. We'll get some. We'll do some deep dive into some uh, subway crime or the lack thereof in 2023. Listen, Arthur, when Joan Pelzer and Arthur Ray Dollar call. Yeah, I know. I, I, I actually see that. So, okay, aside, thank you so much, Chief. I appreciate it on this very busy day you making the time. Joan, feel better, Arthur. Be well. All right, be well. Yeah, Joan is not here. Joan's in, in, in bed at home coughing up her lungs, um, and she's got massive FOMO. Um, why does she have FOMO? Well, because this office has been very busy the last uh, 24 hours, 48 hours, because of this whole Jeffrey Epstein list. Look, folks, I could save you guys a lot of time and effort and energy with this Jeffrey Epstein list. It's a whole lot of nothing. There's nothing new. It's old paperwork. There's nothing in it that that's very enlightening. I guess it's just, you know, they measure people's attention span now. It's it's a lot easier to measure that than in the good old days when people were just buying newspapers. So now they could tell how long you stay on a website and how long you read an article. Now they could tell how long you stay on a cable news channel and and actually or, or you know at least have your TV tuned into it. The same with the you know all the streaming radio services. So. Obviously, it must be rating for them, but there's nothing new. I'm going on Chris Cuomo's show tonight on News Nation. I'm I'm looking forward to it because I'm looking forward to see Chris, etc. But um, there's not much I have to say except this has no real effect on uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, our client, whose appeal we're going to be arguing in two months or so. Um, speaking of Chris Cuomo, I will tell you the um, last night we aired our interview with Melissa DeRosa. And uh, it was aired on the radio station here on AM 970, but also on a podcast I have called These City Streets with Arthur Idala. And it's about these New York City streets. Uh, and it's a video cast as well as a podcast. So it's the video of Melissa and I watching it. And um, I will tell you the feedback I got last night from my not only my aunt Connie Glenn and Ken Munch, but like other people who I don't know who just found me, I uh, was very, very, very positive. Um, thousands of people have actually watched the video cast, so that's very cool. And um, right after the commercials, we're going to have to do in a minute. Um, we're going to play the rest of the interview, and you'll hear. You know, she gets Melissa was very. Um, she got very personal about her life and and how this has this whole Cuomo administration, her being part of it has affected her personally, uh, her relationship with her family, etc. So it should be a good listen. And then tomorrow night, we will um, continue with our regular live and local coverage. We'll have Chief Kemper on. And then I'm hopeful that, um, and we'll talk about crime in the subways. We'll have a little fun. I don't know, maybe we'll do a Padre Lou New Year's libation. Um, and although a lot of people do that dry January thing. Um, and then um, hopefully next week we can get uh, Chief Chell on the Chief of Patrol to talk about how um, the NYPD did with crime throughout the city. Look, in my opinion, the biggest problem with New York City right now is a perception problem. Uh, Mayor Adams showed a bunch of pictures of how bad things are in other cities, and he's right. But you know, he got chastised to some degree. Oh, you know, like who cares if things are worse in LA than in New York? We just care about how things are in New York. You're in like a a lose-lose kind of 
position. I think sometimes when you're the mayor and you know the media is not looking to help you out. Um, let's see. Health tips. Yes, Chell next week. This is Joni texting me. This is the FOMO that this woman has. All right. Well, Sam Bellino's here. Sam Bellino, hey, I, hey. I know you, you worked real hard editing uh, the Melissa DeRosa interview. Yeah, so but, thank you, know, you very it was, much. It was uh, well worth it. It was a great interview. She, well, she's a... She, she knows how to handle. She's a real pro, so she knows how to handle herself. You want her to, you want her to sell buddy. a lot of books too. And yes, and uh, yes, that is her book. You'll hear me talking about it. And my buddy Jerry Foley helped me out a lot on this as well. So um, we are going to take a quick break again tomorrow night. Um, you're going to hear a lot about the subways. We're going to hear a lot about a little bit of the update of the city of what, what 2023 looked like here at the at the end of the first week of 2024. And Joan Pelzer asked me to tell you that she misses all of you. Um, we miss you too, Joni. We didn't even get to hear your song today, Sam Bellino. Thanks, brother, for uh, putting this whole thing together. We'll it. be right back. Don't go anywhere with Melissa DeRosa. This is Joe Piscopo. The following is a medical minute sponsored by my friends at InfuCare RX. InfuCareRx.com. Improving quality of life one patient at a time. The holidays are a time when family and friends come together to celebrate traditions. Did you know that our team at InfuCareRx can help you or a loved one receive safe and cost-effective infusion therapy services in the comfort of your home? Our entire team of clinicians and medical professionals are here to help you receive the infusion therapy services that you need to stay well. One simple call to InfuCare RX may make this holiday season a little brighter for you or your loved one. Call InfuCare RX today for more information at 877-828-3940. We wish you a very happy and healthy holiday season. This medical minute is sponsored by InfuCare RX and the information, comments, or views expressed by the guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of InfuCare RX. Please consult your medical professional for any medical questions, opinions, or guidance. Hi, it's Arthur Idala here to talk to you about Bay Ridge Honda, run by the fantastic Sabah family. The Sabah family that I have known since my dad walked in there in 1980 and bought a Honda Accord for my grandfather. My sister's gotten cars there. My brother-in-law has gotten cars there. And you know why? Because the Sabah family makes you feel like you're part of their family. Bay Ridge Honda has New Year's deals. You know, we all make New Year's resolutions. Quit smoking, get more sleep, drink less. How about a New Year's resolution of a new car? At Bay Ridge Honda, they have brand new 2024 Hondas under MSRP, and they're offering lease loyalty bonuses. Finance rates are available. No payments until March of 2024. Best prices around. They will offer you top dollar for your trade-in. So visit the Sabah family at Bay Ridge Honda, 4th Avenue and 88th Street in Brooklyn, New York, or online at Bay BayRidgeHonda.com. Fourth Avenue and 88th Street in Brooklyn, New York are online at BayRidgeHonda.com. Gregory Floyd, host of Reaching Out, gets answers to the tough questions from people in the know. Joining us is Councilman Ben Kellos. What do you think about the labor movement post-Janus? What are you hearing? I've spoken to public service labor unions all over the city and state, and they are telling me that they are stronger than ever. Members of labor know what's at stake, and they're not falling for any of the stuff that's coming out of Washington. They know that Janus was an attack on labor, and frankly, they know that no one one's looking out for them other than their labor union. So I see folks getting more involved. And I think that if labor members get involved in their unions, I think that you can define who will be the next president of the United States of America, the next mayor of the city of New York, the next borough president in Manhattan, and the next council members, because everything's up for grabs. It's Reaching Out with Gregory Floyd at a new time, Saturday afternoon at 2.30 and again at 9 p.m. on AM 970, The Answer. Let's talk about Connors and Sullivan. We all know that planning for the future is important. Are you and your family protected? If you're not around to make the decisions, who will? Are your assets protected from probate and nursing home costs? The time to plan is now. Correct. On my birthday, on your birthday, the soon as possible, that's the way to go. You may need a will, a trust, a power of attorney, a health care proxy, a living will, an estate plan. The goal of Connors & Sullivan attorneys is always the protection of your rights and interests. They've been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families 
for over 40 years. So visit them for a free, no obligation consultation. Call Connors and Sullivan today to schedule a free in-person initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. And remember what Mike Connor says, the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is not planning at all. Listen to AM 970 The Answer on Alexa. Tune in, iHeart, or odyssey.com. Welcome back to the Author Idala Power Hour. Let's hear what Melissa DeRosa has to say about the accusations against Carver Cuomo. So, Melissa, you're a young, brilliant woman with incredible... I mean, your, your history of what you've seen at such a young age is tremendous. You're clearly a leader in this community. What's next in the, the Me Too, Time's Up? The, the, how do we strike this balance between, obviously protecting women and making sure nobody gets harassed or uh, treated inappropriately. And what happened to Governor Cuomo, which I hope you realize now, happens all the time. All the time. I mean, that's, this is my job, right? I'm defending these people the mo- a yeah. majority of the time. No, look, I would say Me Too was a necessary corrective in this country for a lot of reasons. As I said, it started with Harvey Weinstein, right? And the women who he traumatized. I kind of slow down. You, you realize I represented him at trial. Right? Oh, I did not know I was that. His trial okay, well, I, okay. I'm, I'm actually arguing his appeal. Oh, okay, okay. So we'll so, skip past him. Yeah. No, no, but no, no, no. You can't listen. You can't skip past him. And if you, if we're really being honest now. It technically didn't really start with Harvey Weinstein. It started with the most powerful man in media. Who was the most powerful man in media? Who was it? Roger Ailes. Roger Ailes. You're right. It did start with Roger And now Roger wasn't accused of touching anyone. He was accused of saying, you and I should have had sex a long time ago. It would have been better for you. It would have been better for me. And then shortly thereafter, that person didn't get the ratings. It was proven she didn't get the ratings. But during the period of time, there were all kinds of emails showing he was trying to promote her. He was trying to elevate her ratings. And then his team was like, look, she's just not rating. We got to get rid of her. And then she handed over this tape and he he was gone. He was, he was the bo- making a billion dollars a year and he was gone. And that was the first domino to fall. And then... And Kevin Spacey and Harvey and you know. So I I always associate me to starting with the Harvey. Weinstein, I know, but, but having lived it, I I, I started the genesis. But I do I do think the Me Too movement, at which I was at the helm very early on, and you know, in terms of changing policy and giving speeches and being at the table, extending the statute of limitations on rape, etc. I do believe the Me Too movement was an incredibly necessary corrective in this country in a lot of ways. And I think that its power was trying to equalize the power dynamic in the office where women could set their own boundaries and they could speak up and speak out and be protected. Where I think we lost our way, and I've said this before, is that some things require an apology. You kiss me on the cheek, I don't want to be kissed on the cheek. Apologize. You know, some things require training. Maybe you're out of step with modern day. Maybe there's, you know, things in the office that people don't feel are appropriate. So it requires training and should be taken seriously. Some require firing and some require jail. But the problem is that the Me Too movement at some point lost its way and it became sort of this proxy for if I feel uncomfortable or I don't like something, then it's tantamount to you should be fired and ended and canceled. And sued and, and I want a million dollars. And, and, and yes, and the problem is that I believe that you're already seeing the pendulum swing back. And I think that what could ultimately end up happening, which is my greatest fear, is that you end up in a situation where serious claims aren't taken seriously because people roll their eyes when they think about Me Too or they think it's gone too far. And then you're dismissive about really meaningful claims. And that's where I'm afraid we could end up. And so, I mean, my hope is that we start to have this conversation open and honestly, because I think it's happening a lot sort of, you know, just beneath the surface and you're sort of seeing it play out in different ways that I think could end up being damaging for the women. Of movement. all the claims against Governor Cuomo, what was the oldest one? The oldest time? claim. God, Karen Hinton, I guess. Which was? Which was this woman who had worked for him, and she didn't work for him at the time that she alleges he gave her a hug that was too tight. She was a consultant, and um, it was from, I think it was, you know, 2000 or something. So and that's 20. 20 years. The allegation was it was a hug that was too tight, and she, what's amazing, she was... Um, 
she was writing a book at the time that she made that claim. And three years earlier, when Me Too actually did start in earnest in 2017, 2018, she wrote an article in the Daily News, an op-ed in the Daily News, where she unprompted, unasked, on her own accord, says, you know, I'm lucky that I have had male bosses like Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio, who, while being no-nonsense managers, know how to treat women respectfully. And so it, it was, it came off a little bit disingenuous, where then, while she's trying to promote a book, and these other women are saying some things that she kind of jumped on the bandwagon. Um, and, you know, I lay and, all that out in the book for people to does, decide for right. themselves. So how does Andrew Cuomo, how does he defend himself from something that happened 20 years ago that he has no recollection of, no knowledge of, but you guys are the ones who extended the statute of limitations. And again, I'm speaking now as a criminal defense attorney. Who well, I, I have, think a hug from 20 years ago falls under well, the statute of limitations. Okay, I'm using that kind of as an example. Um, I mean, look, anyone who reads this book will really see that there's no real... i, I, I got to be careful, but there's no sex. <laughs> there's no sex. No, I mean, no, this is not Harvey was, Weinstein. Was I mean, this is... a sex scandal, no. Yeah. No, there was... <clears throat> look, as I said, nine of the 11, you know, instances... Or had no women, touching. I mean, no... The, no, I mean, were in front of other people. It was either at a public event or, or around other people. These were not closed-door situations. Correct. And the, the, you know, the 10th, the, there's two things that happened out of sight. One was this uh, the staffer who said that he had, you know, two personal inappropriate conversations with him. Not No touching. She doesn't even allege she ever kissed her on the cheek. And then this other woman, which was up in Albany, Brittany Camisso, whose case ultimately was dismissed yes. in Albany. And so when you put that sort of when you put that in perspective, I think people will see it differently. And I think people have started to see it differently. But in the hysteria of the moment, it didn't matter. A kiss on the cheek was as bad as rape, and it, you were to be executed, and you were to be canceled, and you were to resign. I mean, there's this moment where, you know, the Andrew Stirk Cousins come out and says, okay, there's been two claims. Lindsey Boylan made a claim. Charlotte Bennett made a claim. If there's one more, he has to go. One more claim he has to go. I remember. It was like well. an invitation. I remember it well. And then it was, you know, boom, the Wall Street Journal front page, this woman, Anna Liss, who worked for the governor in from 2013 to 2015, so we're talking almost 10 years ago, whose allegations were, he put his hand on my waist for a photograph, he, you know, called me sweetheart once, and he kissed me on the cheek once. You and know, that was it. Resign. I, I know. Melissa, what's very interesting for me, even at this moment, after having gone through the book, is that even though we didn't know each other, you know, in a weird way, from what I do, you guys were kind of my adversary. I'm like, wh why are they making it easier to to bring the the really maybe the the worst claims on the planet besides actually killing somebody? Why are they making this so much easier? And now that you see how it, these things can be abused, I I sense from reading your book and speak and hearing you speak and even hearing the governor speak, I'm not going to say you have any regrets, but you probably are a little bit more aware of how people could misuse. I'm not saying you guys were coming from a bad place when you did what you did, but how there probably should be more safeguards along the way. Like, hypothetically, in the state of New York, you do not have to have corroborating evidence for a sex act, right? It's just two people in a room. But a law could say, if, but if it's a sex act that happened 10 years or more, we're going to keep the statute of limitations open. But you have to have some form of corroboration. Not necessarily that someone was in the room, but... Yeah, you have a again, plane have ticket. Sex, generally, there's only two people there. But no, look, uh, look, this is a very complicated topic. And our attempt to remove severe and pervasive from the law was to make it easier for people to bring legitimate sexual harassment claims without having to go 17 rounds in court over what the definition of severe and pervasive was. And I do think that we did, we were doing the right thing in the moment to try to make it fair, even playing field for women. I also think that some people have sought to monetize the law and weaponize the law and are trying to get seven figure settlements for a kiss on the cheek. And this sort of goes to what I was saying before, which is it concerns me because then it makes it so it's so easy to be dismissive and roll your eyes and say this is no longer about women being abused and this is no longer about legitimate harassment or abuse. It's become a business or it's become about weaponizing something to take someone out politically or get someone fired because you don't like them and retaliation in other ways. And so I do think that when we see these situations cross Prop up. It's the responsibility of responsible lawmakers, or lawyers, by and, the way. Lawyers, you know, we're you know, allowed to tell a client, "No, I'm not taking that." Yeah, to, to sort of come to the table and make adjustments where adjustments are right and necessary. <clears throat> one one last question: When you guys found out 
that this report was going to be drafted, and one of the drafters was June Kim, who, (laughs) oh God, is your response, who was the assistant U.S. attorney under Preet Bharara, who was trying to take you guys down from the beginning. At that point, was it a fail complete in your brain that this this report was going to be... The minute that June Kim was appointed, we had an outside advisor who immediately convened a call with us and said, pull the plug, pull back the authority to do the investigation. It's over. If June Kim is involved in this, he tried to take Andrew Cuomo out for six years, literally. Two different federal investigations tried 17 different ways. Preet Bahara, who's his best friend, who was his boss in the Southern District, was out doing, holding the most inappropriate press conferences, saying the most ridiculous things on the radio about three men in the room. And, you know, he was going to go after the three men in the room and stay tuned and just such such a wild abuse of that office from Preet and June and the minute that Tish James picked June Kim the governor is like this is it okay folks it's the bottom of the hour coming to a close with our guest Melissa DeRosa let's take a quick commercial break we'll be right back tonight at seven legal night fires up right on time just in time for you to have the biggest legal stories of the day brought to you with expertise from legal all-star imran ansari and yours truly kevin mccullough that's tonight at seven take it from charlie kirk as i read this new york times article so i read the new york times so you don't have to salem media group reaches more people than they realize it's my favorite line of the whole thing their hosts are big names and they have huge reach which makes them one of the most powerful forces in conservative media Step into our big names to help grow your business. To find out more about it, reach out to our general sales manager, Laura Schaefer, by calling 212-857-9639. Dr. Sebastian Gorka here, inviting you to follow me on a cruise to Alaska this 4th of July weekend. It will be the adventure of a lifetime. Reserve your cabin today. Call 855-565-5519 or PatriotsAlaskaCruise.com. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Wish there was an easier way to navigate the world of real estate. If only there was a way to learn from the best. Well, now there is. Saturdays at 10, our very own Dottie Herman, Vice Chair of Douglas Elliman, gives you the inside track to what is hot in real estate. Stay one step ahead in today's seller's market as Dottie gives her tips on how to make it through the tricky waters. Doesn't matter if you're new to the game or a seasoned vet. You need to listen to Eye on Real Estate. Dottie and her team of experts will guide you as sellers and buyers to make sure you're getting the best value for your property. Whether you want to become a real estate agent or work within the business, there is no better person to learn from than the great Dottie Herman. Why? Because she is the best. Period. (laughs) So tune in. Eye on Real Estate, Saturdays at 10 on AM 970, The Answer. That's Eye on Real Estate, Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock on AM 970, The Answer. My name is Imran Ansari, and I lead the Civil Litigation Division of Idala, Bertuda & Kamins, the preeminent New York litigation law firm. The tires screech, the impact is felt. Boom. You've just been in a car accident. It's a scary situation that none of us want to experience. But if you have been injured in a car accident, then you may be entitled to significant monetary compensation for your injuries. It's important you speak to an attorney right away to make sure your rights are protected. Myself and our team of experienced trial attorneys will never settle for less than what you deserve. We are always ready to go to court to fight for you and seek justice. So if you or a loved one have been injured in an accident, don't delay. Call Idala Bertuna and at 212-486-0011. That's 212-486-0011. Or visit us on the web at idalalaw.com. idalalaw.com. Idala Bertuna and Kamins, fighting for justice, fighting for you. Hi, it's Arthur Idala. It's a new year and time for new resolutions. I'm sure you've already made yours. Going to the gym, spending more time with family, you know how it goes. But is there someone in your life that should really make a resolution for an upgrade to a new career? Why not tell them about court reporting? It's a career with tremendous opportunity and flexibility. They can work in courts. They can work in schools. They can even work from home. They work as much or as little as they want, and their earning potential is fantastic. The National Court Reporters Association says there are 
5,000 openings for court reporters and not enough reporters to fill them. The NCRA is offering this free program called A to Z, where participants are introduced to stenography and court reporting, and sessions are being hosted right here in New York City. Plaza College in Forest Hills, Queens, is the only school in the city with a court reporting program. So sign up today by emailing info at plazacollege.edu. That's info at plaza, P-L-A-Z-A, college.edu. Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or odyssey.com. We're back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour with New York City's preeminent trial attorney and quintessential New Yorker, attorney Arthur Idala. The big stuff. Who do you think you are? Mr. Big Stuff. Welcome back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour and our special interview with Melissa DeRosa, the former secretary to Governor Andrew Cuomo. Let's hear what Miss DeRosa has to say about some of the politicians in the world of New York City politics and New York State politics and how they interacted with Governor Cuomo and the Cuomo administration. So let's talk about the politics of it all. The person whose name is not really in the book much, who's a major player in the state of New York, is Senator Chuck Schumer. Yeah. So what is Melissa, I mean, you know, you're talking about major, major events in this book, and maybe there's a passing reference to Chuck Schumer. Yeah. Talk to me, Melissa DeRosa, about Senator Schumer. You know, look, there's <clears throat> not much to say, in my view, about Chuck. He, he, I think, sort of weaponized, politicized Me Too. He called for the governor to resign very early on. It had nothing to do with Anna Liss getting a kiss on the cheek. You know, I see Chuck Schumer at plenty of parades and press conferences embracing constituents and there was an entire New York Times story written about his matchmaking in his office and trying to set people up and talking about their personal lives and encouraging romance and all kinds of things. And so, you know, Chuck Schumer called for Andrew Cuomo to resign because Chuck Schumer didn't like Andrew Cuomo. It had nothing to do with principle. And you can sort of see that across the river, right, in New Jersey, how it's like everyone in the Senate is calling for Menendez to resign and Schumer's not going to do it. Why? Because it could potentially jeopardize his, you know, his power, power, power. and, you know, for, and his good buddy. And, you know, look, as I say in the book, you can sort of draw a straight line for people's calls to resignation to their own personal and political motivation. So you said that Chuck Schumer doesn't like Andrew Cuomo. No, I mean, look, for how, years, how, and it's give, not a give it, Come on, give me a little, because it's not in the book. So come on, give me a little exclusive here. Give no, me something. Look, the, the two of them did not... Chuck Does this did go not, back to Mario Cuomo's Chuck did, days? Chuck did not like that Andrew Cuomo would hold his feet to the fire. You know, the governor cared about delivering for New York. He didn't tiptoe around people's personal politics. So when things like salt were going on in Washington, you know, he would look directly in the camera and say, Chuck Schumer, where are you on salt? And by the way, Chuck Schumer, where are you on salt? You know, Biden... It, you had a moment there where you had both houses and you like he hasn't been able to deliver much for the state in terms of being a majority leader. Migrant crisis is completely out of control. He you did know, get no the gateway project back in, right? He did, the one that he was did. taken away from you guys by yes, Jared he Kushner, did. he got it back. And that's he a did. big deal for people who don't know if that tunnel ever went down. The whole northeastern corridor would, would collapse. collapse. Yeah, it would be, finan- it would be, be a, a depression, depression be for the United States of America. But you know, the migrant crisis <clears> is out of control. I don't see him stepping up in any meaningful way. He is the majority leader. So anyways, look, they they the two guys they are alpha males in this town and they didn't get along well and when chuck stepped up and said he should resign you know in the spring of 2021 it had nothing to do with anything other than personal petty politics we're talking about people who aren't getting along andrew cuomo and mayor de blasio and you do write about this kind of a little bit in the book I mean, they know each other a long time. Andrew gave de Blasio his first big job when he was the HUD secretary. To the best of my recollection, though, although, and you write about this in the book as well, as well as you guys got along very well with the Bloomberg administration, mm-hmm. before de Blasio was even sworn in, it seemed like Governor Cuomo was already ripping on him and ragging on him. You guys kind of stole pre-K away from him. And No, that's not true. Look, de Blasio wanted pre-K, but really he wanted the tax. He wanted the tax on the rich. And the governor did not believe and does not believe in taxing people for the sake of taxing them as a part of a political slogan. He was very concerned about driving out in high-income earners in New York, which make up, you know, 50% of our base. of, of The money that we take um, in is, it's like 5% of people, like, yield, you know, 50% <clears throat> of, our, of our tax revenue. 
And so when when de Blasio came forward and wanted to do universal pre-K, which, by the way, incredible, laudable goal, and he wanted to do this millionaire's tax to pay for it, the governor stepped in and said, I'll do you one better. We'll do it and the state will pay for it. And we're not going to have to raise taxes because we have the money for it. And then it got into this, you know, protracted back and forth between de Blasio and Governor Cuomo over this tax, which we didn't need. And so it really became about politics for the mayor because the mayor wanted to make the wealthy pay more because that's what his far left base wanted. And as I write in the book, it set the two up on this collision course where the governor was much more pragmatic and believed you had to, you know, make progress to be progressive. And de Blasio wanted to champion pie in the sky, you know, policies in order to sort of burnish his, you know, progressive credentials, which ultimately led him to run for, you know, but president. But you, you figured out a way to get along with Emma Wolf, yes. the chief of staff, that's in the book as well, the chief of staff to Mayor de Blasio. Yes. And I mean, it's interesting because if you look back, I'll just say in my lifetime, Mario Cuomo, the Democrat, and Ed Koch, the Democrat, as mayor and governor, eh, they didn't get along too well. Mario Cuomo, the Democrat, and Rudy Giuliani, the Republican, oh, got along great, right? Then through the years, and then even with you guys, you guys, the Democrats, got along great with Bloomberg. Now, in the book, you credit basically how great Bloomberg was efficient. You're right in here, and I had this conversation with the young lawyers, that even as the mayor, the billionaire mayor, Bloomberg was in at 8 o'clock and would stay there until the day was done. Is that an accurate representation? Absolutely. I mean, <coughs> I write in the book the phrase game recognize game, which yeah, is what I, I always think about with Bloomberg and us. It was like they were, that team, so competent. Bloomberg was such a phenomenal executive. He took the job so seriously, as I said, in at 8, you know, last one to turn the lights out. The people they hired were the best and the brightest. And that sort of matched our drive and commitment and the effectiveness of, of our team. And so it was like everyone kind of stayed <laughs> in their own lane. And then when de Blasio was there, you know, the, the feelings were not mutual. And But I will say Emma Wolf, phenomenal public servant, was a good friend to me for a lot of years. And, uh, you know, as they said, you know, we managed to get along even though the principals couldn't. And I think that was a really important relationship. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds regarding the politics, but there was something called the Independent Democratic Conference. Mm-hmm. That was in the legislature. Mm-hmm. And it was a bunch of senators uh, who were Democrats, but they were caucusing with the Republicans. Mm-hmm. And as an outsider looking in, <clears throat> it seemed that Melissa DeRosa as the secretary and, and Governor Cuomo, it seemed like you guys had a lot of juice and a lot of power to get things done when the Independent Democratic Conference was in place. And that, and well, let me ask you the question. When they left, and it was straight Democrats, did that take Melissa DeRose's ability as a public servant to help the community away a little bit? We actually only had one year where the Democrats had straight control, which was 2019, because then 2020 COVID hit and the legislature was irrelevant. Well, but 2019 became bail reform, right? 2019, we did do bail reform. That's and a true. lot of the women's... It wasn't a lot of the sexual harassment stuff. Yeah, but that was, I mean, I felt like we were primarily, I was driving a lot of that, the women's rights stuff. That wasn't something that was, you know, driven necessarily by the legislature. In fact, the assembly, as I'm sure you know from dealing with the legislature, historically hates to change anything in codes, anything that's increasing penalties for anything they're traditionally Let me ask you this question. If the Independent Democratic Conference had stayed in power, would bail reform have passed? I don't the know. Way it, the, in the form that it did? I don't know, because the, the <clears throat> truth of the matter is the Senate Democrats were willing to do dangerousness standard. The standard that we had wanted was dangerousness, which is what every other you know state in the country that has cash, no cash bail has in place, which you know people still want today. And it was Carl Heasty that wouldn't do it, because he was convinced, rightly or wrongly, he was convinced that judges, if they could use the dangerousness standard, would end up just using race as a proxy for dangerousness, and that you would end up in a situation where African-American and Hispanics would end up sitting, being detained because a judge would see them and on based on the color of their skin, say this person is dangerous. And so it really was a principled issue coming out of the assembly. The Senate was much more willing, much more willing to be tougher on bail reform. And I think even today would do that. So <clears throat> Governor Cuomo made news this weekend um, by talking about the protests that have been going on lately and 
you know, he talked about the fact that the protesters who are even doing illegal activities, they're in and they're out, and there's there's no bail set on them. Should Governor Cuomo sign that bail reform, or should but he that, hung in tight and said, no, 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 until there's a dangerousness standard, I'm not changing anything. But that's not true anymore. <clears throat> I mean, they've made so much, so many changes to bail. I mean, there's so many more things in place now where if somebody's doing something, I mean, they could hold them. And the issue over the weekend with the protesters... Well, there's not, there's not any bail. misdemeanors that they can, they can hold people on any longer. They used to be. That's true. But that's all gone. That's and typically true, but repeat at these offenders events. there are and you know misdemeanors aren't violent crimes they're not you know so I mean the bail conversation is another conversation which I feel has gotten very emotional and has sort of been devoid now from the facts and the statistics and you look around the country and there were crime spikes in places that didn't do bail reform and in cities that didn't do bail reform there was a lot of post covid upticks in crime in places very similar to New York that were, you know, sort of structural issues, poverty, underemployment, other things. And so I think the bail conversation is more complicated. No, it, it, we, you can write another book on could that one if you'd like. Okay, folks, let's take a quick break from our interview with Melissa DeRosa. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Judge Kamins, a partner at Idala Bertuna and Kamins, and where Arthur Idala of the Arthur Idala Power Hour works at his 24-7 day job. In 2014, I retired from the bench to join ABK, which is a full-service preeminent boutique firm that has been helping New Yorkers when legal problems arise. ABK is uniquely qualified to assist New Yorkers who have a wide range of legal problems, from personal injury claims and civil litigation to criminal defense and trusts and estates. I personally work on appellate matters, attorney disciplinary matters, and complex legal issues with a dedicated group of attorneys who provide a team approach to each case. There is no legal problem too big or small for this talented and hardworking legal team. So when you think of the Idala Power Hour, also keep in mind ABK, the power legal firm. Hi, it's Arthur Idala. When you're looking for concrete materials for your next construction project, call on the experts of Diamondback Ready Mix, New York and New Jersey's number one premier family-owned concrete supplier, proudly located on Staten Island, providing concrete services for commercial, municipal, and residential general contractors throughout New York City and New Jersey. The Diamondback Ready Mix Quality is Our Strength service will guide each customer from the initial order through the final pouring, fully insured in New York and New Jersey, and will produce your concrete with the perfect blend of durability, strength, and appearance for your project. Take it from Arthur Idala. Call today and ask for Harry Lynch for personalized service second to none. Call 718-650-5649 for your free estimate. That's 718-650-5649 or go online to Diamondback Ready Mix. That's R-E-D-I-M-I-X dot com. Diamondback Ready Mix is the DeFazio Industries company. Kevin McCullough is next on AM 970, The Answer. Welcome back to the Author Idala Power Hour. We're talking to Melissa DeRosa. Let's get a little personal with her about her family and her own personal life. So I just, before we wrap, I want to talk to you a little bit about like personal stuff. One of the ways that you and I are similarly situated is to some degree, and I, I say this pridefully, but maybe when I was younger I didn't. You cried about it, but our fathers have both helped us tremendously. Our families have both helped us helped us tremendously. I mean, I have followed almost precisely in my father's footsteps, being a New York City trial attorney, as was he, and... You know, I can't tell you how many courtrooms I go into. Oh, you Louis kid, you Louis kid. And my grandfather was even well known. Are you Artie's kid, a grandkid or whatever? So you become the first woman, a very, very young person who becomes the secretary to the governor. It's the highest position that non-elected in the state. And the New York Times, even though regretfully you write, they, they kind of apologize to you personally. They write, you know, that you're the daughter of a very powerful lobbyist. Yep. And that really, really, first you got upset, you got red-faced, you got angry. Now that, you know, you've accomplished everything that you've accomplished, that was day one, right? Now that's 
now you does it bother you now that they associated you with your father to your compliment accomplishments you know it's not about being associated with my dad i'm so proud of who my father is i'm so proud of where i came from i mean i won the lottery with my family it was that i felt as though you know no matter what i did I, no matter how many years I worked, no matter how many glass ceilings I punched through, no matter how many accomplishments I notched, I was always just seen as sort of daddy's little girl. And in the eyes of people in Albany, you know, there was one time I didn't write in the book, I get into this argument on Twitter with a Republican senator, and he tweeted back at me and said, your father taught you better than that. And I said to him at the time, would you say that to Bill Mulrow or Larry Schwartz or Steve Cohen, you know, any of my predecessors who were men? Would you say to a man who's 60 years old, your father taught you better? And so, you know, to have it come from the New York Times in particular in that headline just felt like when they saw me, the singular thing they saw was that I was the daughter of an Albany lobbyist. Not- you know, I mean, look, I <clears throat> I see where you're coming from. I guess I'm a little um, swayed now because I was had the pleasure of spending a bunch of time <laughs> with your dad. And he's he, a great guy. No, he's he and I didn't know it was your dad, so I was chit chatting with him and admiring his sartorial splendor. <laughs> and then I got to hear all about your grandmother. Now I don't want to get you upset, but you write in the book about your grandmother and the fact that you were a little you hadn't communicated with her for a little while there. You want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, no, I talk about during COVID, my grandfather was living with my dad, like so many other families in America. You know, you're worried about grandpa, nano, whoever, you bring him home to stay with you. And, um, you know, there was this moment where I was thinking back on my grandmother and my grandmother, who's my, you know, I was her namesake and I inherited her cheekbones and, you know, her work ethic and I was her favorite after my father. You know, she was very old school Italian and I had broken off an engagement when I was 20. 28 years old and she was so disappointed and so crushed by it and every time I spoke to her after it happened I could never figure out the right way to explain the why and that generation didn't do frivolous things like that right they didn't if they said yes to something to marrying to spending the rest of their life with someone they meant it and so every time I spoke to her I just heard the disappointment in her voice and as I write in the book at one point I stopped turning her phone calls and then tragically two months later she gets hit by a car and she dies and I never get the opportunity to talk to her again. And, you know, it was one of those things I thought about during COVID, which I think so many of us, you know, struggled with during that time that was so uncertain, which is thinking about what really matters and thinking at the end of the day about the people who really matter. And as terrible as COVID was, I think it made us all sort of stop and take stock. And that was one of the things coming out of all of this that I told myself, you know, prioritize the people you love. Spend the time you have on this earth with the people who make it worthwhile. Don't let the moments go by. And I hope that that's one of the lessons people take from reading the book. So you portray yourself as a pretty tough cookie in this book. Yeah. You're not a shrinking violet. You actually wrote in there, um, you prefer just to hang around with the executives where Andrew would hang out with everyone in, in, in the office. So the two questions. Number one, what did you learn about yourself? And, and have you changed? Are you still that tough person who Melissa DeRosa writes about in the book? Or have you softened a bit? Look, I've always, people are not one dimensional. And and one of the things I write in the book is when I was a little girl and I said I wanted to get into politics, my father had this very frank conversation with me. I can still remember it like it was yesterday. You know, you want to be a woman in this male-dominated industry, you know, you're going to have to run faster, jump higher, and never let them see you sweat. And I sort of internalized that from the time I was so young. It was That's why I got up so early and I worked so late and I knew more than everyone in the room and I read more. And if I was going to get asked a question by the governor, I was going to know the next answer and the next answer and the next answer. No one was going to outdo me. And part of that also meant never showing cracks and never showing imperfections and always having this tough exterior. But as I also write in the book, there are plenty of moments when I closed that door to my office and laid on the floor and cried when I couldn't take it anymore. And so I think that look, we are all human at the end of the day. No one is one thing. The thing I think I've learned most coming out of this is that the more we all sort of acknowledge to each other that we're not perfect, the better off we all are. And so, you know... So can you show... Are you allowed to show some cracks now? Is that it? Showing cracks, I think, is actually a strength and not a weakness. And your mental health now is in much better place than it was years ago. Yeah, no, look, I'm the strongest I've ever been. And I think that's also part of it. You know, you live through these things. You get knocked down. You get back up. That's when you know what your true character is. So you have this love of public service. Your dad, who's a great guy, a very well-accomplished guy, told me the story about your grandmother who made suits and made clothing and so proud of that. You have a tremendously 
powerful support system around you. So what's next for Melissa DeRose? <laughs> you know, that's that remains to be seen, but I love public service. I love government. And or Do you love it enough to be the candidate, or do you want to be the person behind the scenes who often has as much power, if not more, than the candidate? Someone told me at a very young age, it's not that important to know the person. It's important to know the person's person because person, yeah. that's the one who actually gets things done. Yeah. And I heard that about you through the years. Like, you know, Cuomo will do whatever. If you really want to get it done, you got to get to Melissa. <laughs> I'm and not no, sure how you feel about that. Well, it, but you know, it's, you know, it's the truth, right? I mean, he's out there doing other things and you're behind the desk getting things done. No, look, I mean, Andrew Cuomo <clears throat> was behind his desk getting things done, too. He was the, is the most active worker as a principal I've ever seen in politics. Well, I heard you say that. The staff was on call 24-7, 365. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, look, as I also say in the book, I never pushed anyone harder than I pushed myself, and he never pushed me harder than he pushed himself. That was just the work ethic in the office. But, you know, look, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm very critical. Thinking about being the candidate? Yeah, or, okay. I'm thinking about it. I mean, look, I'm, I'm very... I mean, you've seen the ugliness of it almost. Well, and you so know what? I'm still here. I just don't know here. if you're... And that's the thing. Okay. It's like, when you've been put through the ringer like I have, there's something liberating about that. Because it's like, you. they tried with everything. When they've tried with everything they can to kill you and you learn you can survive, it's a very powerful thing. And it just puts things in perspective at the same time. You know, it doesn't upset me anymore. New York Magazine writes a, a nasty article. Okay. Okay, great. And on to the next. You know, you don't let these things bother you the same way once you've been through them before. And there is something very empowering about that. And I love this city and this state and this country. And I'm very critical of a lot of people who are currently in power. And at some point, it's put up or shut up. And I know that, too. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm looking at, you know, looking around at all of this. And I'm figuring out what's next for me. But I'm not ruling it out. Well, if you want to know who Melissa is, I mean, you are you are very honest and very vulnerable in the book, personally. You know, you spoke about a lot of things personally, but then you spoke a lot of logistics and how the government works. I would, personally, I would love to f- see you write a book from day one till the beginning of COVID and all, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you guys did in all of those years. Yeah. Um, and how you get it done and how you... Uh, negotiate all the different players and all the different and the campaigns and raising money. I mean, you know, you were involved with the Obama administration, the Biden administration. I mean, it's even worked with Schneiderman for a little while, right? I was his deputy chief of staff, and then I was his chief of staff until uh, I got poached to go work for Governor Cuomo. But yeah, no, it's a pretty good poaching, if I may say so yeah. myself. <laughs> no, look, and maybe maybe there's time for a sequel. I'm 41, so I feel like you're a kid. I got socks older me. than you. Are you kidding me? <laughs> What's left unsaid? My life at the center of power, politics, and crisis. I'm Melissa DeRosa. We're here on 45th and 5th. You can cross the street and go to Barnes and Nobles and pick it up right there. Thank you so much, Melissa. I appreciate you finding the time. Thank Thank you for having me. All right. All right, folks, that's a wrap with our interview with Melissa DeRosa. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. It's a real insight into what life was like at the center of power, politics, and crisis. You should pick up her book, What's Left Unsaid, by Melissa DeRosa. Have a great night. We'll see you tomorrow. I can do anything. I am strong. The Arthur Idala Power Hour is sponsored by Idala Bertuna and Cammons, PC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.